0: This is germ warfare, the battle of ideas. Are you prepared for today's lesson? Today is April 9th, 2021. And this is lesson number 398, Science Says. Science says, don't wear a mask. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it because people are listening really
1: closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask.
0: Good. Now, science says, wear a mask. That's the reason why some time ago, the recommendation was made, I believe it was Dr. Redfield and the CDC who first said that, about getting some sort of a covering. We, we don't want to call it a mask because back then we were concerned we'd be taking masks Away from the healthcare providers, but some sort of mask-like facial covering, I think, for the time being, should be a very regular part of how we prevent the spread of infection.
1: <laughs> my name is Jim. This is Jim uh, Warfare: The Battle of Ideas.
0: That was the one that got me banned off my main channel. Yeah, I still had a backup channel for a little while, but they got that one too.
1: <laughs> and it was that video <laughs> that
0: was the one yeah how dare you how dare you even raise the question of the philosophy of science <laughs> not on youtube no
1: Jeez, what do i even call you citizen journalist investigative journalist an alternative media source uh, wikipedia i think likes to call you a conspiracy theorist but these days that's a that's a compliment <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't worry about the label. I still haven't found one that sounds right to me, but whatever you want to call me, I don't really care. <laughs> what does trust the science mean anyway? Um, It's certainly in the meme way that it's spread around online. All it means is stop thinking for yourself. In fact, quite explicitly uh Forbes had an op-ed up last year that I did a video about don't do your own research <laughs> it was literally the title of their op-ed <laughs> was like okay uh oh, whatever you tell me sir but but uh, uh, the interesting thing about that actually is that the people who are telling you trust the science are people in the media and what they are essentially doing is they're not telling you to listen to actual scientists I mean, which scientists, what science, how do we know? Oh, we have to listen to the people in the media who are going to tell us what scientists to follow. So of course, in a sneaky way, they're putting themselves up as the actual authorities, but they're saying, look, we'll tell you which authorities to listen to. Well, that's the person who's in authority is the person who's telling you which authority you can trust, Let's put it this way. You can censor speech that is incorrect, that Mm. actually is mis or disinformation, as well as speech that, that isn't mis or disinformation, it doesn't tell you anything about what is being censored. It doesn't tell you anything about the value of that information. Everything, everything that you take on board, you you have to do the due diligence to know whether it's real or fake or where it's coming from. There's no shortcut to it. So it's, it would be so much easier if everything that was banned and censored was good and right and true. And everything that wasn't censored was false. I I mean, I wish it were that simple, but unfortunately it never is. The thing that I, I always say, but I, I, it's difficult to convey to other people. I really, truly never, ever in a million years thought I was ever going to be doing anything like this. I never planned on it. I never wanted to have a website or be a sort of media figure of any sort. Um, I, the long story short, I, I grew up in uh, Western Canada. I studied English literature at university as I was studying for my degree. People were asking me, what are you going to do with that degree? Right. It's the most useful, useless degree you can get. And, uh, my stock answer was always, I, well, I don't know, but I'm not going to be a journalist and I'm not going to be a teacher. <laughs> and I ended up going to Japan to be a teacher. And then I eventually became a journalist, I guess you could say that. So anyway, yeah, I, Again, it's so far away from anything I could imagine. So the the, 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 the story is that in 2006, I was here in Japan, uh, minding my own business, teaching English. Uh, and I, I, online, I started to encounter all this information through Google Video, through YouTube, back when it was actually YouTube, before GooTube. I was starting to encounter documentaries and things. And uh, because I was always interested in just learning more about politics and what have you, and it was in the related section of these YouTube videos that I kept seeing this stuff about nine eleven truth and other things. And I wasn't, I was never an anti conspiracy. Oh, that's, you know, I won't look at that kind of guy, but I always thought nine eleven nine eleven truth. Come on. That's as if, but it was, I guess, intriguing enough that I would click now and then I would go, oh, okay, I, oh, let's see what crazy yeah. nonsense they're talking about. And sometimes it would be crazy nonsense about the flying orb made the buildings blow up or whatever. But there were times when I'd click on something and i go, wow, you know, that can't be true. That can't, really? And then I'd look it up and, oh, okay, there's, you know, a CNN article or whatever. Oh uh, Yeah, they are talking about that. Well, that's crazy. I never knew that. And then I'd get a little bit more into the research and more into the research. And that was the process. It wasn't so much there was some moment or there was some some single thing that I discovered that changed my my worldview. It was that process of me starting to get involved in actually looking at some of this information, mm. looking it up, finding it for myself and seeing, oh yeah, oh, Operation Northwoods, that was a real thing. Oh, let's read that doc, oh my God. You know, it was that process that started me along this path. And then it got to the point where I knew this, uh, this information that I'm receiving is so far outside of my reality. I can't, like, it's so far beyond anything I was ever taught in school or ever, ever learned from the media. I have to start sharing this. This is important information. And I, you know, what am I going to do as a person, like as an English teacher here in Japan? Am I going to be teaching my students about this? Like, how am I going to be spreading this information? Well, it's the internet age. I I might as well start a podcast. So I started a podcast and it was a fairly spontaneous thing. Uh, So this all happened in the fall of 2006. By the spring of 2007, I decided I was going to start a website. And then by that summer, I'd already started and was up and running. It was originally going to be an audio podcast once a week half an hour, that was it. It very quickly became audio, video, articles, everything, interviews. And it just sort of kept snowballing from there. And pretty soon I was working my regular full-time job and then coming home and basically working a second full-time job doing the website. And I did that for four years until I could go 100% full-time on the website. And that was a decade ago now that I went full time. And so I've been doing this for 14 years overall. And as I say, in a million years, I wouldn't have guessed that I'd be sitting here from my apartment in Japan, broadcasting to a million people. It's just, it's insane. It makes no sense, but we're in this age. And I always, always was acutely aware that our window of opportunity to actually use the internet as it existed was a very narrow one and it was it was closing and so i knew i had to get myself just whatever just try to get the information out there and i've been i've been about as successful as i could have ever ever imagined in doing that
1: you used this wonderful term that i've never seen anywhere else called open source
0: intelligence yeah yeah i didn't coin the term i remember um, coming across the term in a i want to say washington post article that was up in 2006 and i was reading about it and the cia had just ad- ad- around that era had opened up their open source intelligence branch, their office, whatever. Um, And the idea is, of course, when we think of spies and CIA and what have you, we think of James Bond and we think of people sleuthing around and taking photographs and microfiche or whatever um, to try to get information out. But as has almost always been the case throughout, probably throughout history, at least in the modern history of modern intelligence agencies, most of the information they get, is through open sources as in radio broadcasts tv broadcasts newspapers stuff that's just out there and there's all sorts of information that is just out there but in times past you would have needed the resources of a cia or a major intelligence agency in order to be scanning all of that data from all of these different places and you would probably have to physically or through signals intelligence, collect that data. Well, now we're on the int- in the internet age and all of this data is, I mean, so much is flowing through the internet right now and it's freely available to everyone. A person sitting in their apartment in Japan can mm-hmm. access the same things that some CIA analysts can uh, access in Langley for the most part. I mean, obviously there is obviously information that isn't going to be floating around on the internet, but there's an incredible amount that is. And i I saw that and I recognized the sort of the, um, there, the, the idea being that pre-internet, there was a huge disparity in the type and the amount of information the average person could collect. I mean, I remember reading about Chomsky back in the day where he would have people in all sorts of different countries sending newspaper clippings and things to him at, so that he could collect all this information from around the world, which I guess probably made sense in the 70s or the 80s back when you know that information was hard to come by but now like literally you can search anything you want up i can read the local paper there in in south africa or anywhere else at the click of a button so it's a, a million times easier to collect information now and i saw that and i recognized that oh th- this is sort of a uh, a bridging of that gap that power disparity that yeah. existed before to to now so now that we really can crowdsource open source investigations uh, that could truly rival the sort of investigations that e- intelligence agencies are capable of, for the most part, other than the really super secret hidden information. But again, you can find out so much online. And so um, so that when I saw that and I put that together, I realized, well, that has to be the basis mm-hmm. of what I'm doing. And that's why, actually, I started the, uh, the one of the things that I was very adamant about when I started the website. I was going to have a documentation list because I was listening to all sorts of podcasts at the time. But so few of them seem to take advantage of the fact that we are in the internet age. You have a website. If you're talking about an article, why not link it up so that people just go and they click and they they can read the article that you're talking about and they can find that information. Because me as a researcher, I was always doing that. I was always having to look stuff up when I was hearing about it. I thought, well, I'm gonna have a documentation list. I'm gonna open source what I do so that people can see exactly what documents I'm reading from, where I got this information, And they can see how I put that information together and they'll probably put it together a different way coming from a different background. But that's that's part of the ethos of what I do is that, yeah, I'm just one guy coming from my own perspective. But here's the data I used. And I'm sure you've got other data. Put it. Let's put it together and let's let's see what we come up with. A lot of people will probably know the CIA document 1035-960, which stems from the 1960s during the post Warren Commission Uh, era where conspiracy theorists started to arise as a problem, as a major problem for the intelligence agencies. You started to have people like Mark Lane and others trying to dig up information and publicize information, questioning the Warren Commission and its findings. Mm -hmm. Oh, Lee Harvey Oswald was a lone nut, and that's all there is to it. And uh, there is a CIA memo that you can go read where they are instructing um, their, their assets in media and elsewhere around the world that uh, we need to confront this, and we need to. Uh, uh, and and in that memo, it actually uses the the phrase, if I recall correctly, conspiracy theories or conspiracy theorists. I think it's theories that they use, and um and the implication is that before they embedded that in that memo and sent it out to their Mockingbird agents in the media, that was a. I mean, sometimes the straw man is given. Oh you're saying that conspiracy theory didn't exist before this C- that CIA memo but they used it in this you know newspaper article in 1923 or whatever. No the idea isn't they literally created that phrase but that they weaponized it and started to use it specifically against critics of the government and the government's official findings. And from what I know I don't have LexisNexis I can't do this kind of specific research but supposedly the term conspiracy theory and conspiracy theorist started to take off at the time from the time of that memo onwards at any rate however it actually got implanted in the public consciousness it did and clearly has become uh, a a sort of conjuring phrase um, that the public understands it's a dog whistle of sorts when you call someone a conspiracy theorist you are saying they are tainted with the kind of the social taint they got they've got cooties of some sort you don't want to go near them or what they're saying or you'll be a wingnut you'll be a fringe and that's it's such a powerful such a powerful thing that plays on one of the key psychological motivators that many of us have to fit in to not be seen as the crazy one in the corner um that it even is effective at dividing the, the movement of people who are trying to research this information and bring it, bring it forward to the point where you'll find that some of the most vociferous anti-conspiracy theorist voices are people who are, you know, 70% on the fringe, as opposed to 90% on the fringe, as opposed to 100% on the fringe. The people who are just sort of hanging on to mainstream respectability will, will be the ones that will most viciously attack the crazy conspiracy theorists oh you think 9-11 was an insight oh that's that's unthinkable that's unsayable because they know they are just on the edge of that Mm. sort of acceptable opinion and so they have to differentiate themselves so it's a it's a very psychologically effective phrase that has been weaponized against the public
1: you may not question the official narrative you get censored you get silenced you get fired.
0: Yeah. In a sense, I I think this is the culmination of everything that I've been doing and looking, looking at over the past 14 years. And I'm, you know, people before me for decades, generations, even before that, this really does seem like the culmination of all of that. Um, There was a brief period at the beginning of the, the, the scare last year um, in around March, February, March, where there was the question lingering, is this, Is this the new 9-11? Is this this the big event or something? But obviously that was answered quite uh, astoundingly in the affirmative, yes, this is it. And uh, I would would struggle to articulate anything that could be more a demonstration of everything that I've been talking about, warning about for the past 14 years of my work, other than what we are living through right at this moment. Because this is this is uh, what so many of the different paths have been converging on, including the conspiracy theorist, which was starting to lose its power. There were uh, uh, polls and research that was coming out several years ago showing that uh, fewer and fewer people were scared of that label. Um, Fewer people tended to pay attention to it. And that's when fake news was inserted into the public consciousness. Oh, it's fake news. It's Russian disinformation. And that... Term got thrown out there. It was going to be the term, the new conspiracy theory term, but then you had that weirdness with Trump trying to use it against CNN, so it got Mm. weaponized in a different way, and it—I think it kind of got derailed a little bit. But that's that's the essence of what we're living through right now is the sort of culmination and the distillation of the conspiracy theory idea into fake news, disinformation, which is obviously, I mean, you can call someone a conspiracy theorist and that just means they're crazy. But if you call someone a fake news, disinformation purveyor, that's dangerous. That's actually warfare, essentially. That's that's the type of warfare that's being waged. We have to do something about that. That justifies the censorship. So that's just one of the angles of attack that we've been under for the past 18 months. And I have heard that over and over and over again for the past 18 months. It's person after person. I had no idea about any of this, but I knew something was really off about what's going on. And then I found your work and blah, blah, blah. And it's obviously not about me. It's about the information Mm. that really does. I mean, it's the perfect analogy. They live where you put on the glasses and you can see through the propaganda and you see reality is very different than what you see without the glasses. And that's exactly what that experience is like. And I can speak to that because I had maybe a different approach to 9-11 than a lot of people. I was, I was working at the time. And so, um, I, I remember going into work on the train and I got off the train heading towards the office and I met one of my coworkers and she was telling me something about a plane that hit the world trade center or something. I didn't quite understand what she was saying. She was Filipino. I loved her, but I couldn't quite under I didn't quite get a plane, what, in New York? I didn't, so I didn't quite understand what was going on. I get to the office and obviously someone's talking about, oh yeah, a plane or something. And then when after the second plane hits and the reports start coming in. And so I was sitting there at my desk essentially an over-glorified receptionist at a property management office. And I was—I I, I didn't have a TV. I couldn't see any of the footage. I i was—I could hear a radio in the other office you know, kind of thing. And I, I was trying to check CNN.com because what else am I going to do? Like, okay, I'll look for that. And it was down most of the day because there was so much traffic. And so I had a different experience of that day. Uh, I remember at one point, uh, one of my coworkers walked in and it was, you know, it was the mornings time still and I hadn't seen him yet. So I'm like, oh, good morning or something. And he, he was just absolutely ashen facing. I just watched the tower collapse. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? So it was just craziness. And it was one crazy thing after another. And, it, and I was at work trying to do work and evacuating buildings in Calgary, Canada, because, you know, it was just a crazy day. Right. And so I didn't uh, it wasn't until I got home and I started to see the replays and things. So I. I think I wasn't witnessing the trauma in real time and I wasn't seeing those images and really thinking about them. I, it was all just sort of a blur. So for me, I never really questioned the footage, the images. It's like, okay, some planes hit, the buildings collapsed. Okay. You know, I get it. And I just went with that narrative and I, I, maybe I'm the opposite of you because I've always been somewhat distrustful of official stories. And I've always known, like, I never thought, Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone nut or that kind of thing. I, I was never afraid to question things. But for 9-11, I just always thought that was ridiculous. And I just dismissed that for years. And then it was after that process I talked about in the fall of 2006, where I started looking things up and finding more information and starting to question. It wasn't until then that I could look at the image that by that point I'd seen a million times of the, the towers coming down and seeing for the first time. I remember vividly seeing, oh, yeah that's not collapsing. It's exploding. It's pulverizing. It's, it's incinerating. Like that isn't a collapse. That is an explosion of some sort. That's something is going on there. And I I'd never seen that really seen it until that moment when I realized something else was going. So it's like that thing of putting the glasses on. And that's exactly I, so I, I can very much relate to the people who are going through that right now. what took you but anyway (laughs) glad you're here and yeah it's an incredibly disorienting process to put those glasses on and start seeing things like that for the first time imagine doing that in 2020 and trying to catch up on everything that's going on in the midst of, of this incredible global event it's yeah it's a lot to catch up on very quickly.
1: James do you think we run the risk of looking behind everything um for something that might not be there.
0: Yes. Yes, I suppose so. I have thought about this before. Um and it always leads me back to the same sorts of conclusions. So I thought for example, well, okay, what if what if this endless questioning of everything and and uh, is is part of the what's being sown into the fabric of our consciousness in order to basically keep us divided and conquered so that we'll never trust anything or or something along those lines. I have thought about that. There is an element to that. But what is the alternative? Like, what does that imply? So we should just stop, stop being skeptical. We should stop thinking too hard about anything. We should just trust the science, right? You know, what is the alternative? No, I, I'm i afraid I don't have an on-off switch for my, mm. uh, my rational faculties. I see something, I'm interested, I will look into it, and I will make my decisions on that. And anything that comes between me and that, process is clearly trying to control my consciousness in some way. Hey, I'm a human being. I can and probably have and probably will continue to make the wrong judgments, come to the wrong conclusions at times because I don't have all the evidence. I don't I don't put it together in the right way. Sure. But that's our ability to do that. Our ability to be wrong is the the fabric of human civilization when you mm-hmm. think about it um, to the extent That we become robots who will just accept what's going on or not question it is the exact extent to which we give up our humanity.
1: Ironically, that is the direction that humanity is heading. Transhumanism is a massive, massive fear. And if you had said transhumanism maybe 20 years ago, I think people would have given you the the lazy eye. Perhaps more people now are accepting that it is something that is as my wife said not necessarily good or bad it seems almost to be a logical progression of sort of technological uh progress but but if people like Elon Musk who I'm not certain I should trust or not trust I've got no idea how to read him <laughs>
0: but we're biased say, in the south african aren't you
1: I, I want to be biased but i don't <laughs> i don't like some of the things that he says and does i don't like um I don't like the fact that he's literally playing with AI while at the same time spreading caution about it. I don't understand what's going on here.
0: We're summoning the demon and we got to be really careful with this. And oh, by the way, let's take the brain chips so that we can (laughs) basically not be their pets or or be their pets is I think the argument. Yeah, I have deep, deep misgivings about Elon Musk Um, for many reasons, not only because every single one of his scam business ventures is a total scam that is funded by the government including of course spacex which is an adjunct of the u.s department of defense at this point um but also because i mean family shouldn't we shouldn't be prosecuted for who our family is but his grandfather was literally a card-carrying technocrat from canada so yeah um literally a member of the canadian technocratic party so when he when he says um uh, what was his tweet uh, waiting waiting for the the Martian technocracy or something yeah I don't think he's joking about that I think he really is going to try to set up some sort of techno technocratic something
1: when you think that perhaps people like Bill Gates want to live forever what does this mean for for us mere mortals
0: yeah, excellent question. I mean, this is the question ultimately. And I'm I'm I like to think I'm humble enough to know that I do not know. I do not know the the deepest level of the secrets and, you know, the things that are hidden behind 18 layers of secrecy. I do not know. There are things out there that I just I can't say because I don't know. But everything that I do know lines up in a certain direction and it has so far proven extraordinarily prescient um i mean you say talking about uh, transhumanism 20 years ago you, people would have shrugged or rolled their eyes or something well i can at least speak from experience talking about, about 13 14 years ago i some of my earliest podcasts were about transhumanism and the warnings about this movement so i i have noticed this i've seen this uh, and as i have done research obviously my views have changed over the 14 years and developed and i've gotten so much more research and information behind me, but the more that I pile up, the more it does tend in a certain direction. It generally comes back to the idea of eugenics, which um, I think is just a convenient excuse. It's a justification essentially for the ruling class. The ruling class like to like to believe themselves to be some sort of superior, if not species, at least some superior subspecies, whatever it is, again, I don't know what they they really think behind closed doors and whatever rituals they get up to. I don't know. But I do know they really do think of themselves as genetically superior to the average riffraff out there, which is what I think allows them to do what they do with total lack of conscience. Who cares? It's like the way you might treat an ant colony. And they they just want the ants to do certain things, so you arrange things in a certain way. If you if you truly believe humanity to be below you like that, you have no compunction about doing things like that. And everything trends in that direction. And all of these different technologies always tend to come back to controlling and or limiting and or ultimately getting rid of life. It's always anti-life itself. So whether that's genetically modifying organisms, plants, et cetera, ultimately, um, genetically modifying humans is going to be the next big battleground, but they're already starting to do it. Or whether it's the, uh, the development of various I- identification technologies and uh, ways of storing that information, or whether it's the monetary system and the way that that can be manipulated at the ground level so that we're not trading in these relatively anonymous pieces of paper or whatever anymore. No, now it's all going to be cataloged and centralized in a central database. It's all about centralizing control in as few hands as possible over as much of the globe as possible. And the reason for that, I think, is quite obvious. It's, it's not, that in and of itself isn't such a, a profound mystery. There, are, there is a predator class that likes, that wants, that desires control over the globe and ultimately over the the destiny of humanity they want to be the chosen ones that go forward into the future if you want the the sort of mindset of it i think it is portrayed allegorically in something like 2001 you got robert robert bowman the spaceman you know going out to the stars he's the 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 very few who uses this technology and Ultimately transcends the technology even to become this superhuman space baby or whatever but I, I think that 's the way they think of themselves they're create mm. they're completing the, the the uncompleted great work of the creator they're 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 perfecting it, and they're going to be the ones who who travel on to the future now whatever you think of my reading of their ideology and whatever all, at any rate, all of these different paths do converge on this idea that we are moving towards the transhumanist future. Which will be controlled by a very very few who if there is any sort of any of us any original substrate humans left we will be in some way modified to be as pliable as possible to the point where i have said before and i truly believe this we are facing the extinction of the human species homo sapiens as we have known it um because once you modify humanity enough genetically and otherwise and with the brain chips and what have you what what's left, what humanity is actually left at the end of the day. That's, that's the nightmare vision that I see that we're stepping into. And unfortunately, you are correct. There is sort of a technological progression that you're not, you and I, there's nothing we could do to stop this progress of technology. It mm-hmm. is baked into the cake. Uh, the best vision that I think we can hope for is the idea of, uh, how's it um, portrayed? I don't want alexa i want jarvis which is the idea that i don't want some some you know surveillance device that's monitoring me and whatever else that i purchase from some corporation that's obviously in bed with the government and the intelligence agencies and whatever that i put in my home and you know give all my data to that's eventually going to be put in my brain and ultimately control me like a robot or whatever no i want technology that I can use that is mine, it is my technology, I own it, I control it, It, it's it's not feeding data out to some corporation or something, and I can use it as my defense against this other technology, but I still see that as something of a nightmare scenario, because ultimately I don't want humanity to be so dependent on technology. The idea of actual Mm. human life, again, tends to get filtered away. Now, but, th- this is the point at which you might say, well, so what is the solution? What do we do about that? And I, I wish I had the sim- simple answer to that. I really don't. Um, I hope there are communities of people who really will continue to reject this technology and take it to its logical conclusion. And, you know, Amish communities or whatever, people who will literally be actual, original, substrate human beings yeah. and 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 live like humans used to live and preserve that, but I know most people are not going to, because the more you step into this, the harder it is to step away from it. Oh, but James,
1: uh, within nine years, you will own nothing and you'll be happy.
0: Yeah. So I've been told. Yeah. Yeah. The World Economic Forum and the Great Reset and the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which all swirls around the same concepts. I and just sustainable. Sustainable
1: stop- development is the other term.
0: Absolutely, yeah. No, it's all part and parcel. I just got an uh, a link, I'm just reading it right now, to an econo- uh, economist.com article, Why Coronavirus Will Accelerate the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And it's talking about the pandemic's silver lining is the chance to experiment with technologies and cooperative approaches across borders that could lead to safer, more sustainable, and more inclusive global futures. So, yeah, exactly. They don't even hide this. No, this is all part of the agenda now we've been trained like Pavlov's dog every time we hear that bell sustainable inclusive equality you know whatever oh yay let's let's all clap yay this is beautiful but I would like to think I'm sure you and I hope your audience mm-hmm. knows that these are terms that are have been weaponized against us mm-hmm. and uh, and and to demonstrate that I did a video once um, I, I can't remember the exact title but it was something like I am a, uh, a free trade globalist or something and the point was, Sustainability, free trade, globalism, these things aren't bad in and of themselves. Yes. It's the way that they're used against yeah. us. Like, yeah, I am for a sustainable way of living Mm. i don't want to live in some way that's that's horrible and that's uh, polluting the environment and all that and yeah i do want free trade with other people Mm. and to be able to trade what i want when i want in the way i want uh, voluntary interaction yeah i do want that and global sure i don't i don't believe in these uh, lines on maps uh, that should be limiting human interaction No, no no we should be free to move and But no, but they've taken every Mm. single part of that and weaponized it and put it into this political context that um, is clearly, again, about limiting our freedoms. There is a light at the
1: end of the tunnel, but it's a freight train coming towards us. That's a very grim outlook.
0: Yes. Are you going to ask me if it's black pill or white pill? (laughs) By all means, I'm going to say gray pill. I'm going to say gray pill Um, because I cannot offer the white pill. I cannot say, oh, yeah no problem for sure we're getting through this i cannot (laughs) but i will not swallow the black pill no i don't accept that i still think even if even if every single breath i have ever taken and exhaled in the course of my work is for nothing and means nothing Mm. and doesn't fundamentally change anything whatsoever and or derail this agenda one one jot or any of that even if it's all totally wasted still I have absolutely no idea what will happen tomorrow, and it could be some something where some person on the inside of the inside of the inside of this conspiracy, whose name we'll never even know or whatever, decides to turn to the good and derail the agenda by doing something that 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 deflects the agenda in a way that we again we we don't even know because we don't know the inside of the inside of the plan that could for could help to free humanity for another hundred years and, and then it consolidates again. I, again, this is such a bigger picture than any one person can possibly know. And certainly someone like myself who is not on the inside of any conspiracy or plot. I don't know. So I, I, I don't know that we're heading towards doom. I know we are heading in a direction that is incredibly bad right now, but there are any- that could have complete could completely change that. Who knows? Maybe the comet you know hits, or the uh, the, the great global ice age starts or whatever, and resets. I mean, there are the people who would talk about the twelve thousand year cycles and whatever. Maybe mm-hmm. we're we're on the verge of that, and maybe that's why they're rushing again. I don't know this kind of stuff. It could be, and that could derail things. So th- there is no black pill, there is no white pill. No one can tell you it's going to be this way or that way. But all I know is I have to do what I can, and what I can. Clearly I am a communicator. I can communicate ideas. I can teach people about these things. That's what I can do. So I'm doing it to the best of my ability, I am doing it. And I hope, it's my intention that this message will reach someone at some point who has some way that they can bring their abilities to bear on this, whatever it is, a computer programmer or whatever, understands this message, starts applying it, create some new system or some or derail some other plan or whatever it is. But again, it's that ripple effect that you could never possibly know or calculate. But that's, I know that to be my place in all of this. I'm yeah. just doing what I can. The black pill is just meant to stop people, essentially lay down GI, you know, it's that kind of propaganda, mm-hmm. lay down, nothing you can do matters, you know, don't worry. Or the white pill is, hey, it's gonna be okay. You know, do it doesn't matter. You don't have to do anything. It's always to try to get people to stop from taking any responsibility for what they're doing. And uh, so I can't offer either of those. There is a really, I wanna say sadistic. Maybe other people wouldn't see that, but there is a way of looking at this as in, imagine you were in the upper echelons of the real power pyramid and really had power and control and you wanted people To want freedom and to to understand it and to cherish it and to you know really fight for it so that they'd understand it's something you have to fight for and preserve and you know express your your inner humanity bring that out what's the best way of doing that to simply give everyone freedom and to allow them to do everything and to you know or or is the best way to allow the the darker elements to have their way and to start Mm pressing down and making all of these horrible things happen so that people fight against it it's like the watchman kind of idea where you know we're going to yeah. create this nuclear war to get everyone against nuclear war or whatever it is right um i, I it's a, again i don't know it's a possibility uh i i tend to think of that as a bit sadistic but it is it is to some extent what is happening and i I I talk about this because I got one of the the pieces of feedback I got to that 9-11 Truth Lessons Learned video that I did was something like, uh, well, 9-11 gave us James Corbett. And for that, I'm ever eternally, truly grateful or something like that. And I understand the sentiment, I guess, because he appreciates the work that I do. But again, that's a horrible way of looking at it, isn't it? As in, and, and it to some extent, maybe it's true because I, I said I wouldn't be here doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for 9 11, my process of learning about 9 11 and the truth. I wouldn't be sitting here probably doing this. So that's a horrible way of looking at it. But many people have had that experience in the past 18 months. A lot of people have said, you know, now that I've been, you know, we were in quarantine or whatever, isolation for months and I, you know, I couldn't leave my house, I started to appreciate the things in life that I really have, my family and spending time Mm. with them and things like this, or now we're homeschooling our kids. There are good things that can emerge from these horrible times. And I guess that is a good thing, but I I just don't like to think of it as some sort of, you know, calculating 3d chess thing of we're going to really clamp down so that people will fight back so that then they'll want their freedom. Mm. Some calculus like that.
1: When you, when you are trying to peel away the layers of various Uh, things that are going on in the world who do you who do you trust
0: um no one (laughs) no one uh who who do i trust is the wrong question um i trust is the wrong way of framing it um because it isn't about trust it is about what i am able to determine and Mm sometimes yeah of course no one can investigate every single claim that they hear every single day and get to the bottom of it for themselves of course not i mean there are things that you have to take on faith essentially um but if anything then i guess you have to trust your instincts you have to trust your ability to discern truth from fiction at the end of the day but even then i do I, I do distrust myself. I do think about, well, you know, uh, maybe I'm getting this wrong. Maybe I'm approaching it the wrong way. What if I've got a bias over here? I do try at any rate to look at the debunker sites and things like that to, to see, I, well, do they have a point? Is there a point that I'm missing here? And I try to do that when I'm formulating my work. I hope that comes across in my podcast. I do try to take account of alternate views and yes, and, and other ways of reading it. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, you do have to make a decision at some point, but it's, it isn't to me, it isn't about trust. And it's certainly not about trusting a person or a source or something along those lines. There certainly are sources that when I see come across my newswire, I'm like, yeah, mm, I'm probably not, because I know that they have a track record of not being right. And conversely, I guess there are other sources where I will be interested because, oh, I know this guy does good work. I'm going to take a look at it. But I it isn't trust, I don't put blind trust in anything. I, when I take a look at it, then I'll see, oh, okay, well that's, I can verify that and that's right. And oh, but that's way wrong, I know that's wrong because I saw this over here or something along those lines. It, it always comes down to that analysis.
1: But I mean, I think we can both agree though that CNN is very trustworthy.
0: <laughs> no, but again, it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, I wish it were that simple. If it's on CNN, it's false. If it's on corporatereport.com, it's true. I wish it were that simple. It isn't. CNN can report the truth. In fact, I would venture to say, I don't know. I don't know if I can say this, but I would say probably the majority of things, specific claims that are reported on CNN are probably true, but what do you mean by are true? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That specific claim that this person did this thing, or this person said that thing may be true, But the way that that's encapsulated in a story could make it false in a sense as in the context provides you the information so even if you know a certain thing a certain fact about the world if you don't have the right context for that fact it becomes meaningless so again i wish i wish i could say oh cnn is is wrong and this source is right or something along those lines but it's not about that it's about the sort of the bigger picture which we can never ultimately know. As no. I say, I know I don't know everything about the world. So at a certain point, you—if if you have to put your trust in anything—it's your instinct, your discernment. But uh, again, I don't—I don't like to think of that as trust.
1: But with all this knowledge that one gains, like yourself, James, what do we do with it?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's—I mean—that's the most important question, isn't it? Because otherwise, it's intellectual masturbation it's analysis paralysis Mm. what yeah okay so now you know everything about everything so what does that change in your life Mm. and that that's explicitly why i started the solutions watch series this year um because i i've noticed that even even in myself i've over the years i have tried to constantly talk about solutions and if you type in solutions even pre-solutions watch you know, there are dozens and dozens of episodes and things along those lines, but I'd still always get the people saying, oh, you're just talking about problems. Well, I'd like to think I'm not, but you have a point because I, for example, last, last couple of years, I was doing the Propaganda Watch series every single week, looking at a piece of propaganda, talking about it, dissecting it, looking at the way the propaganda functions, what, what it's doing. But if you're constantly and only dwelling on that sort of analysis. And all you're doing is showing, okay, this is a lie, and and here's how we know this lie, and this is a lie, and here's how we know that. If that's all you do, then all you're modeling uh, to, to other people is, here's how to look at lies and call them liars. Okay, great. That is important, and we do need to do that. But yeah, what do we do with that? So that's why I'm doing the Solutions Watch series. Every single week, I'm trying to look at some aspect of solution. And sometimes that's, you know, the big, big, big solution, capital S, this will change the world. Sometimes it's exceptionally small, simple things, but I think it adds up. And at the very least, I hope it's the idea of redirecting our attention away from uh, analysis of bad things just to know more about bad things and more towards analysis that will actually empower us to to do something, to change something Um, that that's. That's my humble contribution to that i don't see it catching on in the independent Mm -hmm. media very much though this isn't about health crisis this is ultimately about a changeover in the monetary paradigm that could not be enacted without the, the 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 intervening step of having something like a vaccine passport that is literally you can interact in society or you cannot interact in society and the government gets to set those rules perfect. Now that you've got that infrastructure in place, now you start to tie more and more of your identity into it. And ultimately, your your uh, account with the Federal Reserve or whatever your local um, central bank is, will be tied in with your passport. And that will be the way you pay, that'll be the way you interact. So I, that's the way that I read what's happening right now, ultimately at the base or layup level. So Cash Fridays, for people who don't know, was uh, coined by uh, Catherine Austin Fitz at Solari.com. And it's her idea to start off in order to help grow this alternative economy that we need to be creating right now so that we can actually count, not only counteract, but, but build something different from the infrastructure that they're putting in place, which I think is always the key emphasis, not on fighting against so much as creating our own. Mm-hmm. I think that's more the, the emphasis, but so we use cash. We make the point of at the very least, maybe just to start with every Friday, You make the point of only using cash no cards no checks no no whatever no online payments or anything actually using cash to buy whatever you need for that day and then you see if you can well hey if i did it friday maybe i can do it saturday too and hey maybe i can go the whole weekend and hopefully eventually building up from there and building up and finding the things in your economy around you, that you can interact and transact, and oh, I know this guy takes cash, and I know, oh, you start to build that up, and you start to create the infrastructure for what we need going forward. Interestingly, at the same time that Catherine Austin Fitz was developing that, uh, I was talking with Ernest Hancock on Declare Your Independence uh, 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 radio show from freedomphoenix.com, and we were talking about the idea of Black Market Fridays, which uh, comes from, uh, in the US, the Friday, the day after Thanksgiving is called Black Market Friday and Black Friday, which is like the the big sale day before Christmas kind of thing, you know, if everything's fifty percent off. And so uh Ernest Hancock had the idea years ago Let's call it Black Market Friday, and we'll we'll make this big thing instead of Black Friday going to the mall and trying to buy some big screen TV for fifty percent off. M- make it a, a black market purchase. Ooh, that sounds that sounds dangerous. Ooh, as in going online and buying something with the crypto, or 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 buying something for cash under the table, or something along those lines. And so that was where the the idea came from. And then we thought, well, why make that a once a year thing? Why not an every every week thing? Black Market Fridays. And so those two ideas, cash Fridays and black market Fridays were developing at the same time, completely independently, didn't know about each other until they both happened. Um, so that's one aspect of the problem and the solution more to the point. But, um, specifically on the vaccine passports, I just did an entire Solutions Watch episode about that. Um, it's an hour long. I, I would suggest if people are interested in the topic, they check it out because I don't just go through specific instances. I do look at some specific solutions, but I look at the four what I see as the four broad categories of solutions, the legal solutions, the workarounds, the you know, kind of things you can do under the table or on the side or making deals with people um, or uh, the, the protest, petition, you know, political action. And then the fourth level, which I think is the the real level that we have to do uh, to, to really start thinking about is noncompliance. And I talk about different examples in each of those levels and what they look like. And the fact that we don't need to concentrate on one and only one solution. No, try everything, everything that you can to push back on this in every way that you can on as many fronts as possible. We should not make it easy for the tyrants to be tyrants. Yeah. We should be pushing back in every way we can at the same time. So I went through that. Um, I've talked about all sorts of different solutions. I would suggest people look at my Solutions yep. Watch series um, because there's so many different aspects to that question. But I think those are some important ones. And the key idea, again, is not so much fighting back as it is building our own. Your sure.
1: website is, it's like the Library of Alexandria. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's too uh, yeah, much. I'd like to I, so. I, I simply cannot.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, here's the thing. So. I have attempted to make the website that I would want as a researcher. Um, so I don't just do a documentary like Big Oil, How Big Oil Conquered the World or something. I'll have the transcript with the links for each each claim, each statement, each quote, each video. Their links will be there so that you can do it. And that, of course, that is for everyone. And it's for the world. And I'm it's the open source ethos. Also... It, you know, selfishly enough, it's for me. <laughs> so that some point a year or two from, you know, after I put that out, I can go, oh, wait, uh, who said that? What was that about again? And I can look it up on my own site. And I do that a lot. I look up, oh, yeah, that's, yeah. And there's the document. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. So it is a research tool. And I always say this. I really, I want people to know this isn't just something I say. It's really true. I I am not special in any way in any of this. Mm. I'm just someone who cares about this. I am a researcher at heart. So this is what I do. Anyone who's interested in research could do this. And I wish more people did. There are a precious few, unfortunately, that I've found out there that really do cite their sources and really document things in a way that's useful for me as a researcher to come along later. So I I very much appreciate that that feedback. I do like to think of my site as a research tool. Have you done any
1: Research in the years that you have regretted, or that you realized that you went completely—you barked up the wrong tree completely. Uh, this was a, this was just an absolute waste of time.
0: Less so than I would have thought, actually, um, because there are so many blind alleys and wrong turns to take that it's actually surprising to me that i don't I don't think I've had so many of those. There are certainly ones that spring to mind, though. Um, I mean, for example, uh, people might know I was associated with Sabelle Edmonds and uh, her site, com that became NewsBud.com. And I was associated with all of that. And uh, to be fair, I didn't, I wasn't involved in that in any other way than I, I did videos, which I stand behind everything I said in every one of my videos. I didn't think, I don't think I. I, I, I wasn't under duress or anything i wasn't being told what to do it was 100 percent my production so i stand by absolutely everything i ever produced but just the association when sabelle edmonds started to accuse people on twitter of being junkies and all this kind of stuff and i had to step back and that made me question okay so uh, the things that i've talked to sabelle edmonds about can i trust that Is that Mm. true? I mean, what, what do I know about that? And it comes back to the same, the same principles. Again, it's not, it's not that I trust people. It's that I can independently verify information and triangulate it, or I can't. And there are certain aspects of the things that she talked about that I can independently verify and I can, oh yeah, okay. Turkey, uh, Gladio B and the deep state there and things like that. I can verify various aspects of that. There are other things I can't verify. So I can't take it just based on that one source. So there are definitely learning moments I've had along the way of various things like that. Um, But the thing about me, and I think this is just a sort of constitutional to my nature. It's not like something I've Mm. worked on or anything, but I am not a bandwagon jumper. And I know I've, I mean, look, I've been, been doing this 14 years. I have seen bandwagon after bandwagon after bandwagon, the next trend in the independent media and everyone starts going along that trend, and they follow it blindly, and ultimately end up regretting it. QAnon being the obvious example from recent years, I didn't jump on that bandwagon, and I'm glad I didn't, mm. um, because I, I I do trust my discernment to some extent, and I was I, I'd like to say I was proven right about that. Um, and I if people who want to see my take on that look at a brief history of Hopium, and mm. I I can only go by what I can verify. So there's very few things where I would say oh, I went totally down that wrong alley. Um, And the things that I really have been talking about for 14 years, a lot of them have panned out I really did talk about medical martial law back in 2008. I was talking about transhumanism I was talking Mm -hmm. about technocracy for the last eight or nine years Uh, A lot of the things that I've identified as the big-picture issues really I think really 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 are the big-picture issues Yeah, of my type on them? I think these these really are important things. So uh, sorry, that was a, <laughs> that was me praising myself uh, a lot of the time. No, please It's not do. that I've never been wrong. It's just that um, the big picture issues, I am very careful. I don't jump on bandwagons. But
1: James, in front of you, there is a crystal ball. What do you see?
0: <laughs> Can I steal uh, your recent psychologist guest answer? <laughs> I, I just see some glass. Um, what do I see? Okay, here's what I see. I see humans happy families living together voluntarily having disagreements and conflicts sure as humans always have and always will as long as we are humans but being able to live in a society not directed and controlled and limited and weighed and measured and databased and surveilled and tracked where everything that we do has to be in the service of some greater good for some big collective plan that was decided in some smoky cabal room. No, people just living their lives in relative freedom. That's what I see. The only question is how we get from here to there. (laughs) And once I've got that exactly worked out step by step.
1: James, it's been an absolute pleasure. You are a true gentleman and definitely a scholar. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a great pleasure. My name is Jerm. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.